Welcome to All Bodies on Bikes, the podcast, where all bodies are good bodies, all bikes are good bikes, and all rides should be celebrated. All Bodies on Bikes is a movement to create and foster a size-inclusive bike community. So join your hosts. I'm Maggie. And I'm Marley. As we explore the complexities of the biking world, help us break down barriers and create the world that we want to see. And don't forget that all bodies really means all bodies, not just larger bodies, but bodies of all sizes, ages, races, abilities, genders, sexualities, and beyond. Come along for the ride. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the All Bodies on Bikes podcast, where all bodies are good bodies, all bikes are good bikes, and all rides should be celebrated. But you just heard that in the intro, so I don't know why I say it again. Uh, This is Marley Blonsky, one of your co-hosts, and I'm here alone today. Well, I'm not alone because my guest for the show is actually sitting right next to me, um, which is rare that we get to do this. Most of the time, our guests are far away. Um, But Maggie is not here with me today, um, but that's okay. Uh, They send their love. So... Today's episode is going to be a fun one, and I'm just going to get right into our bio, um, which I don't know if I can say it with a straight face. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully you can't. <laughs> um, but this is, we, we ask all of our podcast guests to supply their own bio, and this is the direction Matt went. Matt Hartman is a very handsome 41-year-old white cis male. He's a Taurus with blue eyes, brown hair, an amazing mustache, and tattoos that some may consider regrettable. He enjoys long walks in airport terminals and even longer gravel rides in Northwest Arkansas. Some of his not-so-guilty pleasures include too many espresso shots from bougie coffee shops and the pursuit of the perfect croissant. As we sit here, he has three beverages in front of him, two of which are espresso. Yeah, there's probably a total of about four shots in there, and it's about (laughs) 4.15 in the p.m. Good luck sleeping tonight. You know, I got a pack because I got a long walk in an airport terminal tomorrow. Oh, we're going to talk about that because you're actually going to do something pretty fun. Um, but seriously, all jokes aside, I'm really excited to introduce Matt Hartman. Um, Matt is the owner and brains behind Spoked Events, a cycling event pr- production company. With over 10 years in the bike industry, doing everything from running a bike shop in St. Louis, managing a racing team, managing NICA events for the Missouri chapter, and occasionally riding bikes himself, Matt has seen and done a lot. With all that experience, Matt brings a wealth of knowledge to the events he produces. We invited Matt on the show today to actually really dig into events from the event director and production standpoint. Um, And I'm really excited to ask him some technical questions. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really stoked to be here. Oh, it's a good thing because I call your company Stoked Events all the time, but it is Spoked Events. It works. They're interchangeable. <laughs> I am stoked to be spoked. Yes. Um, so let's get into it. Um, so I just gave a glowing review. Is that your Tinder bio, by the way? <laughs> no, that's not. I just made that up. Oh, well, it should be. Your if Tinder. I was on Tinder, it, it could be. Oh, well, you're saying anyway, that's not this is not a dating show. <laughs> Uh, so besides, you know, your, your stunning blue eyes and amazing mustache, uh, who are you? What do you do? Tell us about yourself. Uh, well, my name is Matt Hartman. Um, I'm an event director, technical director, uh, a lot of things event related. Uh, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Shout out to the Lou. Shout out to Nellie. Um, I don't really know. It's hot in her. It is. It's actually cold in her. It is. Um, Sorry, I'm cheap. Northwest Arkansas. (laughs) 
it's getting chilly. It's that time of year. Um, yeah, I've been doing event stuff for probably about a decade now. That seems like forever. Um, but yeah, started started at the bottom. Now we we not here. We're we're somewhere in the middle. Um, but yeah, really really happy to to be doing events and and be in the uh, bike world. So tell me, let's back up a little bit. What does event director or technical director? What does that actually mean? So it varies per event. Event director is kind of just a more general term for somebody who's directing the event, I guess, for lack of a better term. Somebody who's kind of in charge and making sure the whole thing is going as planned. Uh, a technical director is what I generally do more frequently, and that is um, the technical aspects of the course or the routing, the permitting, um, traffic the management plans, the porta potties, the porta potties, the rest stops, um, working with local police departments and state highway patrols, and and all that kind of stuff. So, kind of all the stuff behind the scenes that mm -hmm. a lot of us never even think about. Yeah. Um. So cool. Thanks for explaining that. Um. Actually, I want to back up a little bit because I think the audience will enjoy this story. Before we get too far into events, um, can you tell the story of how we met? Yes, I love this story. This Me too. Is a fantastic story. So during the Women of Oz Summit, which was a few months back, um, Marley, who is very active on social media, as you know, posted a video um, from, I believe, was it like a jump clinic, maybe? It was, yes. It was. Okay. <laughs> so Marley. Which I don't, I don't know why I did it. For the record, this is a whole different conversation. But I don't like to take my wheels off, get my wheels off the ground. Like, why did I do well, a that? Was clinic? evident in the video. <laughs> <laughs> so Marley hits this kicker, misses the gap, and goes face first into the airbag. Well, she didn't miss the gap; she stuffed the gap with her front wheel. <laughs> so I found that gap real well. She found it perfectly. If she was looking, if her wheel was looking for it, they. She found it. So OTB face first into the airbag and got kind of a carpet burn looking thing on her face. So about two days after that, um, I was in the airport going to an event in Albuquerque and Marley was going to Seattle. Um, and I saw her kind of across the uh, gate. She was playing on her laptop doing very important work, I'm sure. Um, and I was probably just like scrolling some sort of mindless feed and enjoying my um, my bagel. So Marley that airport does have really good bagels. It's the only thing it has. Well, that's another podcast. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, I've had better airport bagels. So Marley gives up her seat to this elderly couple, um, which was fantastic. And that's what brought us together physically she sat across from me <laughs> and i waited for her to look up and i made awkward eye contact well okay backing up i had noticed his ozark gravel cyclist hat and i was like i wonder if i know this guy oh yeah yeah yeah. um so so yeah so i wait to make awkward eye contact and she looks up and i just look at her and i say hey how's your face and she looks up at, at me kind of like slightly offended, like, who the hell is this dude? Um, and then I explained. Well, I had kind of forgotten by that point that I had crashed. Like, my throat hurt really bad because it turns out I injured my trachea. Ooh. But I had forgotten that that was a, uh, a thing that was going viral on the internet. 
That video has like 5 million views at this point. It's kind of ridiculous. Is that your most viewed video? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By far. Mm. <laughs> I think it should be like all endos on bikes then. No. No. <laughs> I never like I'm a really cautious rider for a reason because I don't like to get hurt. Yeah. And like that hurt my ego. That hurt my head. It hurt my bike. I bent my saddle. Mm. Steel saddle rails. This booty. It. Yeah. But you made a friend. I did make a friend. And for that, <laughs> I am very grateful. Um, so, yeah, thanks for thanks for rehashing that story. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we've we've become fast friends here in Northwest Arkansas. Um, I think we're both kind of salt-to-the-earth people and down-to-earth. And so we become riding buddies and event friends. Um, okay, so now back to your story, um, mm-hmm. now that we've brought the audience in. Um, so what are some of the events that you've worked on? Um, any Anything that we'd recognize or that folks might say, hey, I went to that ride? Um, in the last few years, it's been a lot of cause related stuff. I was fortunate enough to be on the team for the cyclocross world championships that happened in Fayetteville, uh, in Centennial Park a few years back. Fun fact. That was the first time I ever came to Northwest Arkansas. Ooh. And then I moved here three months later. Yeah. That was a really cool event. Um, let's see some mountain bike world cup stuff. Um, did a lot of cause-related stuff, like I said, this past year. A handful of events with MS Canada, um, formerly Multiple Sclerosis Society of Canada. Um, worked with the Albuquerque, or worked with the um, the Lobo Cancer Challenge, which is the University of New Mexico Cancer Center. Um, bike Across South Carolina, which is a three-day um, gravel event. This year, we're doing the Ozark Graveler, which is going to be a six-day across the state of Arkansas on some really gnarly gravel. So look out for that one. That one's going to be pretty fun. Um, Yeah, and this next year, we're still kind of seeing how it pans out and and what events are are on the horizon. I'm not 100% sure yet. Can you talk about your involvement with NICA, Um, starting with what is NICA? What is NICA? NICA is the most amazing bike related thing in the world right now second only or maybe only runner up to like all bodies on bikes Mm, thank you um no nike is fantastic so it is the national interscholastic cycling association Um, it is a cycling program a mountain bike program for middle school and high school student athletes so think like for us it would have been like boy scouts or girl scouts growing up but with mountain bikes so it's a whole weekend. There's generally the state will have five weekends. So it's a statewide program. Um, it's in a lot of states right now. Some states have had to kind of break things up because they're getting so big um, and have like regionals or, or, or something like that um, just to manage the number of student athletes. Some have thousands of kids. But uh, yeah, it's very, there are races on Sunday, but the way it's structured, it's, not the focus is not on the racing at all the focus is on the community and developing just great humans Mm. Um, the vibe is amazing you know like i mentioned i've done world championships in a lot of competitive events and um just working with the kids that there's just that purity there and they love bikes because bikes are fun there's no pressure nobody's getting on rollers before the race to to warm up and you know 
they think they're talking about nutrition, but really they're talking about nutrition. Then they go eat Cheetos. So <laughs> they, they talk about what they think is cool to talk about. Sounds like I would get along well with these kids. You would. It's yeah. just a hundred percent fun. That's, that's super fun. And you've been involved in the Missouri chapter. Are mm-hmm. you um, staying involved with that? I mean, Missouri for folks who don't know is like 30 minute drive away. Uh, yeah, Missouri's pretty close. I mean, being in Northwest Arkansas, we're right across the border. So I moved here about six months ago, maybe. And I continued to work with the uh, Missouri League through 2023. Um, since I was part of the team that launched the state. Um, this year, I'm not sure what the schedule is going to look like in 24. So we're going to kind of wait and see how that goes. I really hope that I can still be involved in, in all those events. But you know, there's also NICA here in Arkansas. So there's there's opportunities. I'll be involved one way or another. Um, I'm going to head down and help train the Mississippi League um, on some race operations stuff here in the spring. So maybe my path is maybe working more with national and sharing kind of more the technical aspects to get other leagues going. Very cool. Well, let's dig into those technical aspects a little bit. Um, so, you know, as somebody who's attended a ton of events, and I think a lot of our audience, um, you know, goes to goes to events what what is unique about um a bike event from a production or a planning standpoint a bike event compared to like a different yeah or like yeah i guess that's that not a very good question um i guess talk to me about some of the elements you you mentioned briefly you know permitting working with police departments um you know if you are planning let's Let's say you're planning a gravel event. Um, what are some of the things that go into the planning process that maybe those of us from an attendee perspective might have absolutely no about, idea about that are going on behind the scenes? So if we're talking about something larger, like your Unbound or your Mid-South or something like that, we're going to have a ton of people. Um, you know, Generally, it'll be broken up into like a production crew who does all the build out for the venue. Um, you'll have kind of like... You know, you'll have venue and you'll have uh, course is kind of the easiest way to think about it. Um, so your venue team is working with all the vendors, um, parking plans. You know, if you've got a thousand people, you've got at least a thousand cars. Um, so where do all those cars go? Um, you've got that many people flooding into a small Stillwater, Oklahoma town. Um, you've got to work with the city. Um, your favorite topic, you got to get porta potties. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot that goes into into that, um, and you want to make sure that you're you're making friends and being good stewards so that you can come back the following year. Um, and then as far as the course team goes, you know, designing a safe course um, that has variations in case you come across weather or something like that. Um, so you want to have that kind of in the back of your mind. It needs to be accessible for EMS. Um, in a worst case scenario kind of situation, you got to put rest stops places. You got to have your SAG vehicles. You know, if, if that's something you have like mechanics driving the course. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of moving pieces. And obviously I've thought about some of those specifically porta potties. Um, do you, <laughs> maybe I should explain this. Like I just put up a picture on Instagram and people are like, what's with the porta potty? Um, I love them. They are like, I think one of our most brilliant and underrated innovations recently, Um, because if you've ever been to a city, I'm thinking specifically of Seattle right now, where there's a lack of public restrooms, it gets really gross really fast. 
and everybody, I don't care how old you are, who you are, everybody's got to use the restroom. And porta potties just make it usually, hopefully, clean and sanitary and decent. You can just get your business done. So that's why I like porta potties. I think they're a very underappreciated amenity everywhere. But what's the perfect porta potty to participant ratio? So my porta potty to booty ratio is generally one to 100. Um, generally speaking, it kind of depends on the event. And are we serving beer and bean burritos and espresso shots? Um, or are we <laughs> having just all bran flakes? Um, I think the bran flakes would have the same effect as the yeah, bean so. burritos and the espresso. Um, all joking aside, I, I generally do the math with a 1 to 100 participant ratio um, and then add in a handful of ADA, um, which are the larger sized uh, restrooms. Um, I know a lot of women like those because, you know, you have to take your jersey off to get the bibs down. Um, so you need a little bit more room to, to kind of move around. So I try to be sensitive of that. Um, you know, Yeah, I always feel bad when I use the ada space um because they're genuine especially as more and more adaptive cyclists are showing up mm -hmm. so just a shout out to folks if if you have the option please don't use that yeah. unless you absolutely have to but i think they're good for families and um yeah totally yeah um but no i i love that that thought and the uh consideration and you know i think if there are I'm, I shouldn't even talk about this. I would say if there's multiple ADA, you know, do what you need to do. But actually, since we're on this porta potty soapbox, <laughs> if you're at a cycling event, I highly recommend undressing a little bit outside. It's okay to take your your jersey off and like leave it on the ground outside the porta potty because you're just gonna drop things into that nastiness anyway. So get undressed outside. Nobody's looking at you. Everybody's <laughs> doing their own business. And that's my hot tip for the day. Unless it's pre-event, then those lines are long, and you can never have enough porta potties but before you can, an event. But yeah. you can still get undressed outside while you're mm -hmm. waiting in line. Yeah. Um, and then you're not dealing with like zippers and stuff. And then put zip back up before you wash your hands. You know that sort of thing. Um, so uh, <laughs> now that we've talked on <laughs> all-time favorite subject, um, from an event director perspective, what are the hallmarks of a good event? Ooh, hallmarks of a good event. Um, from on the back end, um, I would like to know that all the fires were put out in a way that the participants didn't even notice. So that's a hallmark of a really strong event team. Um, you know, when things things are going to happen. You know, I would say, can you give happens. me an example of some of those? Those things? I I love that approach to it because it's like. You're not saying none of the fires got started. Like mm -hmm. things are going to go sideways. Oh, 100%. Do you have Always some examples do. of things that go sideways at events? Um, one of the most terrifying things for me is in a criterium race in a residential area, a car somehow gets on course. You know, a resident will be like, why is my driveway blocked? They'll move the fencing. They'll think they can get out really quick. They don't know where the Peloton is mm. on the course. So, you know, we'll get a radio call. Hey, there's a car on the course at turn three. And then we got to figure out how to get that car off before the Peloton comes back around. That's horrifying. Yeah. But if we get that car off and nobody ever sees it, that's how you know you got a pretty good team. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's probably the most terrifying thing for me in, in, in a racing scenario. What else do you look for? Like, you know, at the end of a weekend when you're evaluating things with your team, um, you know, 
what else are you looking for? Are you are you tracking number of injuries? Are you making note of where they happen on the course and maybe making changes in future years? What does that look like? Yeah, 100%. Everything is documented in detail, um, all that stuff. So from a technical standpoint, um, during a race, say it's a, a long gravel race, I will be sitting in some sort of control room and I'll have communication with uh, police, EMS, all the SAG mechanics that are driving the course, rest stops. So, you know, I won't be there personally, but I'll have eyes and ears and contacts, um, you know, on that 100-mile course so that if something's happening, I will get a radio call. Um, and generally speaking, too, most events will have like a hotline, like your SAG number um, that you can call if you need assistance. So that number will go to me. Um, and I will write down timestamps of every single call that comes in, um, first rider that hits rest stop number one is, you know, exactly what time that is, um, injuries, all that stuff. So we can kind of see if we need to tweak a course for next year. Um, it can give us an idea of like, did the course have too much climbing for this audience? Maybe it's a fundraiser event and a lot of the cyclists are a little bit more on the beginner side of things. And maybe we designed a course that was a little bit too difficult this year. Um, you know, I love rider feedback after an event to say, hey, this course was really pretty. It was too hard. Um, you know, if people kill themselves on the course and come back and they're too tired to eat the food and watch the live cover band, you know, that that kind of, that's kind of, that, that's a bummer, you know? Like I want to make a fun, exciting course, but also like participant and experience in general is what, what we're all about too. Yeah, the, the full day. Um, well, you mentioned something really interesting there, and I've, I've always wondered this as a multiple last place finisher. So you mentioned that you know you're tracking when the first person gets the rest stop, um, and you and I have, have you and I have had this conversation before about you know the importance of cheering on every last person that finishes. But what does that look like from a technical perspective? You know, if you've got me out there who I'm on, if I'm on track to finish mid south in 14 hours. And the pros are doing it in, I don't know, six hours. Like, that's a long time mm -hmm. to have all the operations going. So how do you accommodate for that? Or do you in the races that you are doing? Um, from the production staff event management side of things, a big piece for me is going to be communication. Um, so I will communicate with rest stops saying, you know, your last rider is still an hour out. So, you know, stay put. Um, we don't want you to start breaking stuff down yet. Um, we'll kind of keep the mechanics and the SAG vehicles um, in the loop too. So, you know, if you're in the last 25 miles, we don't need all four SAG vehicles. You know, we can kind of start sending guys home or persons, send persons home. Um, I use guys as gender neutral. Yeah. I don't know. I try to be better about it. Me too, but it, it's okay. Um, and in a male dominated industry, 99% of the mechanics are men, unfortunately. Man, if I could hug you right now. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for acknowledging that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a big part of it's communication, um, towards the end, you know, something like mid South where it's getting dark, um, then safety kind of starts to come into play a little bit more. If you're the only one out there and you still have 30 miles to go and it's pitch dark, um, you know, we want to have a conversation with you. We're not going to pull you, but we'll say, you know, Hey Marley, you know, you, it's dark. You still have two and a half hours to go. Do you want to do this? And you say, yeah, I've been training all, all year. I'm really dedicated. I have to finish this event. And we'll be like, all right, cool. 
Um, you know, make sure you have lights. Um, say, ideally that person, I mean, and I make sure of this and I tell other slow folks, be prepared to be out yeah. there. Like if you're going to be out there that long, you need to be self-sufficient. You need to have your food. You need to have your water because aid stations might close down. You need to have your lights. Um, yeah. I think it's also the onus is also on the riders because mm-hmm. it's not a surprise to me when I'm out there for 14 hours. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And, you know, so hopefully the event has communicated that out front um, in some sort of email. Hey, you know, you must be able to hold, you know, this mile an hour average to be able to sign up for the 100 mile route. You know, if you're if the fastest you can ride is six miles an hour, you probably shouldn't sign up for the 100 mile route. You know, maybe start with the 50, do that a few years and kind of work your way up. So because that, again, that kind of becomes a health issue too you know is somebody physically going to be able to eat and drink enough or are they gonna you know have some sort of you know we don't want anyone getting injured yeah so yeah it really comes down to a lot of communication um there might be some sort of liabilities with um the organization that's putting on the event you know maybe it's a university or a nonprofit or a hospital or something like that and and they're going to want to pull you uh, for whatever reason so in, in which case I generally like to put you in some sort of SAG vehicle and take you like a mile out from the finish so you can still have that finishing experience um, opposed to just be driven all the way in. Yeah. And then we don't tell anybody about that. You just, your Strava looks amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You hit, yeah. You get those segments all the way in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you touched on this briefly, but let's talk about volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, volunteers, I think, can make or break an event. Um, what, what's your approach to volunteers? Volunteers are the most valuable asset to any event. And I know any event director will tell you, will tell you that without hesitation. Um, the example I like to give is the most important, well, one of the most important um, volunteers is your parking volunteer. Mm. The reason being that is the very first person a participant interacts with when they get to the event. So you pull in, you need information immediately as to where do I park this car? And they're going to show you in the parking lot where to go. If you have a negative interaction with that person, immediately that puts a bad taste in your mouth and kind of sets the tone for what you're about to get into. So then by the time you get to the registration person or, you know, before you're even on your bike, um, there's opportunity to have a number of negative experiences. So finding great volunteers, treating them well, um, that's, that's really, really important to me. Um, rest stops are another good example. If you have great lively volunteers at a rest stop, and you're coming in and it's dark and you've still got, you know, one rest stop to go and you're feeling a little defeated, but you get there and they've got a Bluetooth speaker and they're banging some Miley Cyrus and they've got, you know, gummy worms for you, then you can recharge and it really like affects the vibe of the event. And, you know, your takeaway when you get to that finish line, you're like, man, I was really dead right before I got to that last rest stop and they had my favorite sour gummy worms and now I'm amped. So like, you know. Yeah, that's so true. Even from a rider perspective, I can like think of probably four or five specific rest stops at specific events where I had like a great interaction with a total stranger, Mm -hmm. but it made that day so much better or easier or just more enjoyable. Yeah, and they're out there all day too. Yeah. 
if you think about, you know, your ride's going to start at 8 a.m. or so, you know, your first rest stop volunteer, they're going to be out there at 6.30 or 7, setting, setting up, up that rest stop. Cutting those bananas and making those PB&Js. <sighs> yeah, and... yeah, for real. And then, you know, they're going to wait till we ask them to break down. So um, say first rest stop is at mile 20 and your slowest person, you know, is doing an eight mile an hour average. Um, they're going to be out there for first half of the day and they gave up their Saturday or Sunday um, to do that. So appreciate them. Give them high fives. Tell them how awesome they are. And and uh, yeah. It's, and maybe it's volunteer at some events. Oh, for those gosh. of us that are often, you know, racing or towing the line. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's it, it can be super fun. It's one of those things that like at a rest stop, you own that rest stop. So you get to do essentially whatever you want as far as I'm concerned as the event director. Um, I'm happy to just turn that over and say, here's all the food, here's the tent, the table, the chairs, all that stuff. But like, if you want to wear Hawaiian shirts and hula skirts and, you know, like play the Beach Boys, do it. Oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> sounds really fun. Um, I, yeah, I don't think I've seen much of that. Although one of my favorite rest stop interactions was at Steamboat Gravel. They have um, a couple of really just long climbs. And at the top of one this year, there was a family and this kid was giving out Oreos and he was so stoked to give out Oreos. And then he also like was shaking up can little cans of Coke behind his back and offering yes. them to people. <laughs> and I, I saw what he was doing, but my friend that was, I was riding with came up behind me and he was like, yeah, man, a Coke sounds amazing. And I was like, oh no, oh no, no, no. But yeah, sure enough, got the Coke and exploded and the kid thought it was the funniest thing in the world. It is. <laughs> It was very funny. His parents were horribly embarrassed. Like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And thankfully, my friend that it happened to, super easygoing, um, was like, ah, that's okay. Like, just give me some water to wash it off. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess that could really go one of two ways because there's a lot of very serious people out there. Yeah, 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 there are. Um, <laughs> we don't have to say more about that. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, Karen's ride bikes too, you know, so... <laughs> it's one of those things you yep. can't make everybody happy all the time but you know if you're at a bike event especially if it's like a fundraiser or something like that hopefully you're there to have fun yeah yeah and if and if you're in a bad mood then something's causing that and then you need to eat more eat realistically more eat more gummy worms eat more gummy worms when if you're on a bike and you're mad or you're sad you probably just need to eat more because mm -hmm. you're not actually mad or sad yeah yeah that's what I learned from Meg Fisher many years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, you just had a notification pop up on your phone that reminded me of a question I want to ask you. So you're flying out tomorrow I am. for USA Cyclocross Nationals. Yes. Um, what are you up to there? Um, I will be doing some course production. Um, so working with a really awesome team. Um, we are building the course. Um, it is in Louisville, Kentucky. So we'll be out there for about, I think I'm there for two weeks. Nice. Does USA Cycling, do they, like, how much autonomy do you guys get to, like, make the map? Or does USA Cycling say, hey, we need, you know, three sets of barriers and two flyovers? Like, what what does that interaction look like? Uh, I didn't personally design this course. Um, a lot of that stuff is done by Sean Thurman, who is an amazing event director, and I've learned a lot from him. Uh, lucky to call him one of my really good friends. Um, so we work really well together. So, and I think we're kind of on the same wave, wavelength when it comes to course design and build. Um, but to answer your question, there are some things in the rule book as far as course widths 
and some sizing things like that. Um, you know, there's different rules for USAC or UCI World Championships. Different things like that have different regulations on how you can build certain features. So as far as like barriers go, there's no rules that you have to have, you know, so many barriers or anything like that. The rules are more like, you know, the start needs to be so long um, and things like that. They're all kind of safety related for the most part. Um, There's some things that are a little bit antiquated that have just always been rules forever and they're still rules. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, But yeah, I mean, for the most part, we have we have pretty we have a lot of creativity to, to kind of work with, you know, you have your physical space. So you have whatever park you're working with and we'll use features like Hills to kind of, um, you know, create speed or to slow the riders down before they come into a turn. So you learn a lot of using the natural landscapes um, to either, you know, create uh, create a feature or to control the race or, you know, maybe you want to set up a str- sprint finish or something like that. So um, once you've do, done it a handful of times or if you've raced a lot, you'll notice some of that kind of stuff um, from certain race directors. Some people kind of have a style that they like too. Um, so Cool. Yeah. I've, I've raced a number of cyclocross events and I, you can always tell when somebody knows what they're doing when they're building mm-hmm. a course. Yeah. Um, and it's just a lot more fun to ride is – is really what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, like they're all rideable and they're all challenging, but it's just more fun and it flows better when it's done with intention and by somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah. And everything has to get approved. Um, there'll be, you know, over the course of the next few weeks, we'll probably do half a dozen course walks um, with the USA cycling officials. Where it seems we'll- like you should do course rides. There will be some course rides. Uh, most of it's walking though, just to see more specifically That's you know, fair. exactly how this stake is put in the ground. Um, especially we're expecting some weather, so it's going to be pretty rainy, which means there's going to be people sliding out. Um, so, you know, a lot more. Um, some proper cross weather. A lot more safety things to, yeah, perfect cross weather, but there's some more safety to, to consider. Yeah. Again, something I had never mm-hmm. considered, but it makes so much sense. Um, kind of on that same vein as we're, we're getting close to wrapping up here, um, this has been a really interesting conversation um from an event production standpoint what do you wish attendees knew um i wish attendees knew that our number one priority is and will forever be safety um i know sometimes things seem inconvenient or sometimes things seem silly like why'd they do that in this event they should have just done it this way Uh, know that we spend six months to a year on an event. Mm. We've had who knows how many calls and site visits and all that stuff. You know, we've had multiple calls with safety personnel and risk management and all that stuff. So, um, you know, a large scale event, no stone has gone unturned. Um, And I know a lot of folks just feel like we kind of throw things together or how hard could it be? It's just a bike race. Um, So, so I think that, you know, our budgets are not unlimited as much as I wish they were. We could do a lot more cool stuff if I could, you know, bring in the Rolling Stones and <laughs> and just build these permanent courses all the time. Oh, man. Unlimited money. That'd be so cool. Yeah. That'd be so cool. Um, well, yeah. Thanks for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and volunteers. And, yeah. Tell them they're awesome. Tell them they're awesome. And you should volunteer. And please volunteer. 
Yeah. Actually, um, for a lot of the bigger events now, um, that's kind of a backdoor entry. Um, so if you volunteer this year, you will often get a reserve spot for the next year. Yeah. Um, so I know Steamboat Gravel does that. I think I'm going to misquote. I shouldn't say this. I, I want to say Unbound does it, but I could be totally wrong on that. But I know that Big Sugar here in Northwest Arkansas does. Mm-hmm. Um, so great opportunity. Also, if you're just curious at about an event and not quite sure if it's your vibe or any of those things, um, mm-hmm. you can always go as a volunteer, participate in the shakeout rides, go to the expo, do all those things, and still get the event experience. And there's also volunteer stuff you can do and still ride. Yeah. So, you know, maybe there's a packet pickup on the Thursday or the Friday before the Saturday or Sunday ride. Yeah. So you could still do that. Volunteer for a couple hours. You'll get to hang out with some cool folks and then not miss the event. You yeah. Know? So. And there's often event cleanups on the back end mm-hmm. because no matter how good we try and be with our little goo wrappers, um, there's inevitably some some race uh i learned this word the other day and i'm gonna say it wrong detritus do you know that word no it it basically means um like waste okay yeah yeah pick up trash just be a good human be an all-around good human exactly um okay matt i think this brings us to the end of our conversation um well actually i went so fast i know i could talk about this stuff all day though i know i know i I have one more question before we get into our last two questions um and it might be a very short question. I don't know. Um, so you've been doing this for a while. You've done Nika. You've done cross. You've done mountain bike. You've done gravel. You've done running events. You've done charity rides. Do you have any like, Marley, you will not believe this like thing happened. Um, is there anything like that that you can share? Either funny or horrifying or oh, um, just astounding? Well, horrifying is, like I said, always cars on the course. That's, that's always the most horrifying thing, um, hands down. Um, oh man, I don't know how to tell this story in a way. We already have an explicit rating, so that's okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll do my best to tell this in a tasteful way. So one year, (laughs) oh man, I'm not sure who's going to hear this, but if he hears this, this is going to be great. So anyway, one year at Tulsa Tough, um, it was the Crybaby Hill Day. And we shut down the streets in the morning and put the barriers up. So at that point, no vendors can get in. So, you know, the company that's putting up the tents or the porta potty company, for instance, like they all need to be in, set up and gone, you know, by, I don't know what it is, like 6 a.m. or something like that. And at that point, the course is buttoned up and there's no way to get cars in anymore. So the porta potty company didn't show at all. (laughs) Holy shit. Oh, (laughs) so they're no show, but we can't wait around for them forever. We have to button the course up and like, we got to get the show's got to go on, you know? So we have a RV where the ham radio operators are set up um, and they're kind of getting their station set up. One of the radio operators needs to use the restroom, but there are no restrooms. There's a quick trip up the hill. Um, I believe it's maybe like a quarter or a half mile away. I know where that quick trip is at on Crybaby Hill. Yeah. Yep. So finally the porta potties show up and they're on a 35 foot trailer and there's no way for us to put them where they need to go. So we are manually sliding them on the ground. I think at one point we may have been pulling them with like golf carts, like one at a time. Um, so we love you guys. We do everything we can to get you uh porta potties. 
Um, but uh, but yeah. So anyway. Yeah, that's an oh my god moment. Go. Oh, we're not done yet. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> go back to the command center. Um, the gentleman was not able to make it to the restroom, and all over the inside of the command center where staff was set up to be all day long. Oh no. I don't know if anyone's ever been to Tulsa tough before, but it is consistently 120 degrees. Um, there was really no option other than to use that room. Okay. Wait, can I ask a very technical question here that I just don't understand? So you say all over the room and like there was recently that airplane flight where the person had. Yes, it was that all over. Like, how does that happen? I don't know how it happens. I wasn't there. I pooped my pants before, but it has been contained to my pants. Yeah. All over, all over. (laughs) How? (laughs) So I I don't get it. So yeah, it it was, it was the whole thing. Uh, the gentleman went home, he showered, he came back, he was good. Um, but that was a quite a literal oh shit moment. Oh my god, <laughs> that is horrifying. Um, but thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dang. Um, okay, so couple last questions for you. Um, if you had a dream event that you got to work on or produce, um, either existing or you get to make up your own thing, what would it be? Oh man, I have so many ideas that roll around in my head. These shower thoughts I have of events that would be really cool. Um. I'm the kind of person that wants to do all the things. So tonight while I was doing my intervals and trying to keep my mind off of how much it sucked, I was like, okay, what would be a cool event? So I think one day you do a cross race. The next day you do like an XC um, mountain bike race. Then you do like a gravel race the next day. And this is all a camp out scenario. So the participants are doing all three events. They can. Yeah. Okay but you kind of score it um, like an Omnium. So if anyone's ever raced track before, you know, you get points over the course of the whole weekend. So you could get more points for doing all of the events, or if you just want to do one event or however you want to do it. That sounds really fun. Yeah. Yeah. It would be really Especially cool. if you like threw in some bonus points for like fire building or. Oh yeah. I don't know. Like my other event is to have two venues. I remember back going to like warp tour as a kid. And you'd have to like study the schedule ahead of time to know like, all right, no effects plays at this time on this side stage, but then I got to get over there to watch Pennywise. So I've got like 15 minutes to get from this stage to this stage. And it's like a mile apart at this yeah, giant and it's like a venue. Mile apart. Yeah. So what if we had like an event that had two venues and you would ride your bike between the different venues Food trucks would be at a venue, concert stuff would be at another venue, and camping would be at one of the venues. And it was this kind of thing where they were two individual event, uh, like two individual events, but you just rode your bike between them over the course of the day. That sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think maybe flush out a little bit about what's happening. I mean, maybe warp, yeah. warp tour with bikes. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Although I... I don't even know who's on at Warp Tour anymore. I don't no. think Warp Tour still happens. Nope. I did see a bunch of my like teenage favorite bands the other day, not the other day, maybe a couple weeks ago, and it didn't hold up. So yeah. I don't know that we want to bring that into existence. Yeah, yeah. Be careful revisiting bands you listened to growing up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, hey, all right. We've got our final two questions that we ask every podcast guest. Okay. Um, what does your dream day on a bike look like? 
dream day on a bike would probably be um probably just like a long chill gravel day um with lots of farm animals and vistas um just enough climbing to get like some really awesome views um no cars and then general like pop-up mom and pop like grocery store um with a deli counter that sounds ideal summertime maybe like a water hole for water or for swimming for swimming oh yeah i'd have a good route i'll, I'll take you on it someday because it hits all of those no oh, okay although Sign the mom and pop is a walmart but <laughs> <laughs> we're in northwest arkansas so. it counts as local right yeah 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 okay and then final question matt this has been a wonderful conversation um, I have two rules for this. You cannot answer bikes and you cannot event answer event production. Ooh. I know. What is something that you wish you got to talk about more or that people asked you about more? Hmm. I wish people asked me more about my house plants. <laughs> Hashtag plant dad. Ooh. Plant daddy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tell me about your houseplants. <laughs> so I just built this thing earlier today where I have a couple hangers that are mounted to the wall. Ooh. And I took a shift cable. <laughs> like from your bike? Yeah. Okay. Just a, it's new. It's not taken off the bike. I mean, and I'm not judging. Recycle is great. Sure. And I strung it between the two plant hangers. Um, and now the plants grow from each kind of planter box that's mounted to the wall Ooh. over the bed i have a lot of thoughts on this yeah. uh it's pretty fantastic <laughs> i think if i walked into a man's house well we already mentioned that he was single uh if i walked into a, <laughs> a man's house and saw this i would think he's got some serious attention to detail like that's a that's a real good quality that's my job attention to detail oh man i have so many jokes i want to say and <laughs> You'll find the dirty jokes in the show notes. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's for the, the After Dark episode. Well, hey, in closing, anything else you want to add before we, we sign off for the afternoon? Volunteer, please. Volunteer. Um, fill out the event surveys and let us know. Ooh, like, you guys actually read those. We read those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We read those. So please give us constructive criticism. Um, but we, we want to know what can we do better? Um, we're always trying to improve your event experience, um, and just reach out too, because, you know, sometimes if I've been doing the same event for five years, I might struggle to find, you know, some new concepts or new ideas. So reach out to us via social media or email and just be like, Hey, you know, it would be really cool guys ever thought about, you know, doing this thing at an event that might be kind of cool. Cool. I love hearing that. Mm-hmm. And thanks for thanks for your openness. Thanks for your transparency. Yeah. And thanks for sharing this side of the event world. Um, we do it for you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All for me. Well, not all for you. Oh. But for the, for, ro- the royal you. For the royal you. The royal yeah. you. So we want um, you to be involved in, in the process. You know, we want, we want it to be something that you walk away from. It's not my event. It's your event. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, thanks for joining the show, Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, where can folks find you if they want to learn more about your events or what you've been up to? Mm, you'll find me on spokedevents.com. Uh, I'm on the socials too. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, and then you'll also find me riding my bike all around Northwest Arkansas. 
Any events on your calendar for next year that you are 100% in on? 100% I'm in on the Mid-South Double. Bobby, I'm coming again. Um, I'm I'll be there, end- but not doing the double. It's going to be real hard. So I need like an extra special Bobby hug after that. Um, did it last year and I'm kind of dreading it this year. You're going to do great. Um, what else do we have on the calendar this year? Dirty South Roubaix, I believe, is going to be on the calendar. Um Where's, where does that one take place? That is Alto Pass, Illinois. Okay. Um, I would not call Illinois the, the Dirty South. Yeah, I know, right? Interesting. Um, there's a few other things that I can't think of right now, but yeah. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Well, um, if you see if you see Matt out there, give him a wave, give him a hug, and say thanks for producing all these events and doing the good work that we all enjoy. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for coming to the events. Keep coming. Keep coming and keep volunteering and keep listening to the podcast. Um, cool. Thanks, Matt. Mm-hmm. Before we sign off, I have a huge favor to ask of all you podcast listeners. If you are still listening, we are currently running a survey because we want to know who you are, what content you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of. Just go to allbodiesonbikes.com slash survey and give us your thoughts. And I hope you all have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you next week. This is an All Bodies on Bikes podcast powered by Feisty Media. The show is produced by Maggie and Marley and edited by the team at Feisty Media. Thanks for listening.